Hi, and welcome back to OA on Air via social distancing. I'm Kyan Isaacson. This week, it's 321 Go with Cosmo Macero. Then, Ann Murphy interviews CEO of Bridge Over Troubled Waters, Elizabeth Jackson, and Dr. Wendy Champagne Williams, Associate Professor at Bridgewater State and an alum of Bridge Over Troubled Waters. As we head into November, it is National Youth Homeless Awareness Month. First up, 321 Go. Hello, and welcome to another edition of 321 Go on OA On Air. Our deeper look into the world of public affairs, culture, business, and the economy. I'm your host, Cosmo Macero. I'm here with Kyanne Isaacson. Hello. Hello, the official voice of OA on air. Kyanne, great to talk to you again. Almost Halloween. Almost. We are prepared over here. My son is throwing a Halloween party tomorrow. That's awesome. Yes. So uh, our house has been turned into a haunted graveyard of some sort with, you know, he's an eight-year-old boy. So spider webs and skeletons and all of the things. Oh, yeah. That's awesome. Um, In my town, there's one street in particular that's like theme park grade everyone. Like it's a group uh, outdoor decorating activity, uh, decorating initiative. It's unbelievable. So on last on Halloween night, it, the whole month of October, people sort of walk up and down and um, drive up and down and look and sightsee. On Halloween night, you they they close the road. You can it is literally wall to wall people. That's cool. You know, it's I'm not normally a Halloween person. It's not my hol- It's not my my holiday. It never has been. Even as a child, it was just not my favorite. But after last year being such an odd holiday for our kids particularly i'm actually really excited to you know be able to send him out to the world trick-or-treating and you know be around other people and mixing and mingling in costumes i think we we adapted and overcame and made it a great one last year um amidst trying times but all of these holidays that are more normal than they you know than they were last year have a little bit of extra oomph to them I think. Yeah, I agree. You're like me. You love you love Fourth of July, don't you? Um, I do love Fourth of July. I'm uh, Christmas is my favorite. Always has been. Yeah, everyone loves Christmas. It's all it, that almost you almost have to that almost like throws off the curve. You got to just throw it out because yeah, you know, my husband's not a big Christmas guy. He's kind of screwed. Yeah. Really? Yep. Oh, yeah. I love Christmas. I love Christmas more now because I love. I, like when you have, yeah, when you have kids at that age, nothing is better than Christmas. No, it's just so much fun. And so, as he quickly gets older, that's you know, I know it's gonna. Yes, I'm, I'm at that point now with my two sons. It's uh, it's very. You sad. have to wake them up, and they're like, "Oh, dad." It's awful. It's it was so much better, but when the time between the time they were like four and ten, or even eleven, <laughs> twelve. So, all right. Well, we've digressed, but you know what? This is a pretty good topic. Um, Halloween. Halloween. Can- Every year there's a Halloween, a Halloween candy list. We, uh, VB and I on the Fox 25 Morning News some years ago, we used to always do this and make fun of each other for the terrible candy that uh, we, we, we gave out at Halloween. But this is, you know, as official as the Boston community is going to get on a list. Devra first. 
widely respected food writer for the Globe, yep. says these are the best and worst Halloween candies. And of course, as you might expect, many people, myself included, say this list is absolute garbage for these several reasons. But I'll get to mine. Uh, I'll get to mine in a second. But what what are your what are your thoughts? What's your favorite candy? What do you think of our list? Um, I. She says best is Butterfinger. I'm up there. I would put Butterfinger, like maybe a Snickers or a Reese's Peanut Butter Cup. Um, but I, I do love Butterfinger. And I think the small ones like actually taste better. I know that that's crazy, but that's my theory. Um, I agree with that. I think she second on her list, she had Laffy Taffy. Um, debatable, but I think Laffy Taffy is always a fun surprise. Not grape. Grape's gross. Um Mounds, anything with coconut has no place in my life uh, unless it's like a pina colada. And the fact that Smarties is on this list, it just confounds me to no end. Um, and then I love Sour Patch Kids, Reese's, Take Five. You know, she hit a lot of the main ones, but I was shocked by Smarties. I also think Mounds and Almond Joy are controversial um, because people either love them or hate them. But that's my, those are my quick takeaways. What about you? Um, yeah, no, I, I think that's really good. Uh, that's, that, that, those, those are good, ta- those are good takeaways. Mine is, I guess I was a little bit too harsh. I, I, I'm very up and down, right? I think, I think, uh, incredibly strong move, um, with the Butterfingers first. You, you can, you can, you can put a, a bunch of things at first place, but an incredibly strong move, in my opinion. Um, uh, to have Butterfinger up top, it's a great candy bar. It, it just is. Complete disrespect for the P and M and M in this list, which bothers me. And then speak, speaking of Laffy Taffy and and Smart, I'm laughing at Laffy Taffy and Smarties, which is like a, a sort of like a cousin of circus peanuts, like the worst candy in the history of of the world. It's filler candy. Yeah. So yeah, the, any of these little novelty, ridiculous things that you actually don't ever would never eat, you're just like, oh, Smarties. I, I don't know why it's anywhere near the list. Now, I'm going to agree that they're controversial. I'm a big fan of almond joy and mounds. I like coconut. I understand people don't. I do think that almond joy, it, it, it like mounds, is is like a really really, um, you know. A really pathetic younger brother of Almond Joy, or just a really terrible. But she put, it's interesting. She put Mounds on the good list, and she put Almond Joy on the bad list. It, it, it's not, Mounds is dark chocolate and no almonds. Get it out of here. You know, you want the milk <laughs> chocolate, you want the almond. So get it out of here. So, I, you know, but um, you know, but the, so, but then and then again, I know people like things like Sour Patch Kids. It's not my thing, but I know that they are like a part. I recognize the popularity of yeah, such a so, so yeah. I guess I can't slam it. Um, but then I'm going to say, I and, and you know, Whoppers, I like Whoppers. What's wrong with multi milk balls? You know, I think they're great, but some people don't like them. Um, I feel as though they have t- waned in popularity, but um, but I still, you know, it depends because sometimes you get them and they taste stale. Quite honestly, you're they do. They, they always taste. You're right about that. Her bad list, I I, I kind of like because she, you know, she she immediately just 
the stuff that makes you break your teeth, gobstoppers. And then, I, I mean, there's all kinds of great. Did Tootsie Pops not make this list? Uh, they did not. Dum Dums did. Yeah, Dum Dums uh, as a worst. Tootsie Pops, I think, should be in the best. Now, Tootsie Rolls are bizarre. Only weird people like them. I kind of like them. <laughs> I do not like Tootsie Pops. And I only, I, I don't like Tootsie Rolls. And the only reason I like Tootsie Pops is for the lollipop once I get to the Tootsie Rolls. I, I, lo- I love Tootsie Pops and I like when I get to the inside, but Tootsie Rolls is like you eat it out of out of like laziness or desperation. Um, but I'm gonna get I'm gonna finish my uh, ex, uh, extensive and excessive comments by saying incredibly strong move and bold and right on the money. Take five might be the greatest candy item in the history of of, of candy bars. It is it is an unbelievable combination of chocolate caramel peanuts <laughs> peanut butter and pretzels it is un, it is absolutely addictive <laughs> all of the things salty and sweet unbelievable so interesting list and um every year i'm like yeah i guess i'll spend some money and get the full si- forget it but what am i what, what are we the rockefellers i'm not giving out full-size candy bars I'm not doing it yeah no i think that's excessive i also i don't think it's necessary the, the fun is getting all the little fun sized things and your parents letting you have like, you know, one in the morning. And that doesn't happen if it's full size because your yeah. parents aren't going to let you eat the whole thing all at once. So it's in a no fun yeah, size, you, fun you, size only. You want to have like a like a Halloween yes. candy buffet. You don't a need a mortgage board, if you will. <laughs> yeah, you need the full size. All right. Yeah. Okay, Hard hitting well. news. Hard hitting news and current <laughs> events we're bringing here today. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Business, culture, and the economy and candy. Yes. Um, you flagged a really interesting story a lot of people are talking about. And I, 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 I'm getting a kick out of it because I, I, have, I am so ridiculously beyond in age the, you know, the, the um, defined over-the-hill people in the story. It, it's it's frightening. The, the thirty-seven the New York Times thirty-seven-year-olds are afraid of the twenty-three-year-olds who work for. Them. So so it's now it's the thirty-seven-year-old millennial that is basically it, it, over the hill and or completely uncool and out of step. In fact, maybe people in their mid-thirties to early forties are so uncool that old people in their mid-fifties. Are coming back into being the cool and, and, and like are, are coming around full circle and cool are cool again. I don't know. Probably not. I think you just inadvertently elevated yourself to cool and demoted me to uncool in that statement. But for the sake of this conversation, <laughs> I'm going to let it go. I said maybe. <laughs> this is also, I also get, a, a, you know, it's it maybe it, it's heavily, heavily colored by the idea of the office mean girl. It, 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 and it doesn't have to be a, a woman. It, it's it could be either gender, but it's sort of the mean girl mentality is how you get into the beginning of the story. Uh, snarky, snarky. <laughs> Look, I mean, what's interesting is that because technology and social media and all of these things that have come to the forefront in recent years, um, and. 20-somethings were raised on it. They understand it inherently. It makes sense to them. So when they're talking to those that aren't as familiar, um, number one, they have a bit of a leg up, which is a little bit backwards, right? Um, And then you've got people that are like, you know, how do I 
going to the 20 something year olds and saying like, I need to convert this PDF into a word doc, or how do I, you know, can you brief me on what TikTok is and how is it used and all of these things. And they have, a, they have kind of like power in the knowledge that they understand inherently that others don't. So that balance is a little bit different. And they're also coming in and just saying, yeah, I don't get why we do it that way. If it doesn't really make sense, why do I have to? And they're questioning, you know, accepted norms that have been in place for decades that the rest of us, I think, have really just grumbled through sometimes. And they're kind of like, why? I don't want to do that. Um, they also are embracing, and I think in a way that will ultimately be healthier for our society as a whole, the idea that you should have a work-life balance. Um, and I think that's something that we, we can follow suit on. But the power dynamic is changed a little bit because no matter if you're more senior or have been around and, and working longer, you need these younger people in a different way. Yeah, no, it's um, it's it's true. I, it's it's interesting because I think there's a lot of positive um, impact to be had from uh, Gen Z, sort of the the younger side, right? The younger side of the millennial generation, um, you know, bringing new ways of thinking, new energy certainly, but new ways of thinking, um, you know, unconventional, not you know, and, and helping. Or companies and organizations not be afraid to be to say, yeah, let's let's try something different. But um, there's a heavy dose of sort of the uh, um, metaphorical eye rolling in 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 the, in the anecdotal stuff in this story. Um, I love you know, I love you know the <laughs> he's the 22 year old CEO when someone, you know, an, I think an intern or a young, um, uh, you know, uh, employee asks, you know, what, what, what's, what's, uh, his advice. And that's, he says to make you, to make, what's your advice for our company, uh, to make you vice president. You know, it's, there's a whole sense of, uh, of unease that we don't want to, we don't want to turn away this young generation from our workplace. No. And, you know, particularly as we look at the last year and a half where we all shifted to working remotely and utilizing software and computers and phones and all of these things in, for a lot of people, new ways for the generation that's been FaceTiming since, you know, they were 10. um, This was seamless. They had an advantage. Uh, Anyone who was comfortable with zoom and skype and using you know chat functions and social media and all of these things there was an advantage versus those who struggled to be like okay what do i do when i can't just walk down the hall or sit in a meeting room and you know put pen to paper with someone um and i think that that leg up will be felt for some time because the work the workplace is probably never going to look the same, right? Which we've talked about a lot. Um, so advantage younger generation of people who this was seamless and just made sense. Yeah, absolutely. It's fascinating, I, I, and I think the reality is no. I, I, um, 
I have not, we have, I have not, uh, and my peers have not come around to being cool. We're just c- completely disregarded as having any impact on the coolness of a organization because it's just like, oh yeah, those are the old people. They're, they're nice. They're yeah. Nice. Bottom line. A lot of experience. A lot of experience. Good, good guy, that Cosmo. Bottom yeah. line, our producer Catherine is cooler than both of us. So. Is what? She's cooler than both of us. Exactly. All right, and finally, speaking of being cool and fun, let's talk about baseball and ice cream, particularly soft serve ice cream. Kind of a fascinating story um, this week about the Atlanta Braves and about what helped turn their season around. In fact, it came after a a tough stretch coming through Fenway Park um, when they decided that uh, they needed a certain kind of motivation in the clubhouse, uh, and they were inspired by the – Soft serve ice cream that's at the clubhouse at Fenway Park. And uh, they actually had to, I, I guess they really had to lobby the team uh, management to get one. Uh, and, of course, it is now um, being seen as one of the, one of the uh, spiritual catalysts for their um, uh, so far very successful season. I, I mean, first of all, I love soft serve, so totally on board. Um it's just a fun, I mean, it's such a fun story. It's also a reminder that, you know, for a lot of people, their employers can make them happy and feel appreciated in a lot of ways. Usually it's salary. For the most part, these people negotiate really nice salaries for themselves. So they're not struggling financially. Um, but they wanted something that was going to bring a smile to their face. And this was it, which for anyone out there, it's just it really is a reminder that sometimes it's the little things that count just as much as the big things. Um, but it reminded me of like, <laughs> what was it? Major league when they had to like incentivize the team to win, <laughs> except this is in a much more PGG rated uh, way. Exactly. But <laughs> Hey, whatever works, right? Exactly. The, um, the players talk about, you know, people assume we just eat grilled chicken and vegetables. And that's true. we got to take care of ourselves. But everyone loves ice cream, and, um, which is kind of funny because there was the whole Red Sox chicken and beer scandal some years oh, ago. And it was like guys, guys in the, you know, during games in the clubhouse, going down to the clubhouse and just basically drinking beer, having um, Popeye's fried chicken and, like, you know, barely paying attention to the game. In this case, it's after, after a tough game, after – I assume it's after a win or a loss, but certainly after a win – they got their soft serve. It's something they really enjoy. It's certainly very wholesome. It's a wholesome thing, right? It's it's they're not doing shots of Jack Daniels, so um, I think it's uh, it, it's pretty cool. I gotta say, the guy or the woman or the people or the uh, whoever is responsible for inventing the hard chocolate shell on soft serve, <laughs> they, they need. I think they need more. They need more notoriety. I, I should know who that person is. Because the hard chocolate shell on soft serve is a pretty a, a pretty tremendous thing. Well, you should go find him, and then you can um, do some pro bono publicity. Yeah, I guess I can do that. It sounds like you don't like the hard <laughs> chocolate shell. Um, I I'm like I'm fine with it. It doesn't overly excite me. I know that that's you love soft serve. How do you love? I soft love soft. Serve? I just I like soft serve. Just like I like candy mixed in, but I also love just straight vanilla soft serve. Yeah, I get you. Oh, you like the you like you like the candy. Yeah, you like the 
You like the blizzard. You, you, you're, no, it you're... doesn't even have to be a blizzard. I just, I like a topping with my soft serve, but it doesn't, like the hard shell, I'm just, I don't know. My husband, see that's something my husband's like, oh, got to get the hard shell, got to do the dip. Not, like, never been a thing that I. You can fix before. your Christmas by serving him a hard shell soft serve on Christmas. There you go. Look at us, solving all the problems. Yeah. All right, Cayenne, great talking to you. That was a fun one, uh, interesting stuff. And uh, uh, next up, I'm sure we'll be talking about the aftermath of the coming Boston mayoral election um, and, uh, and a lot of other stuff. That's going to do it for this edition of 321GO. Our program is recorded remotely in different locations around the country and the Commonwealth. Catherine O'Brien's the producer. Thanks for listening. Goodbye till next time. I'm Cosmo Macero. I'm Ann Murphy, partner at Seven Letter, and welcome to OA On Air. Today, we're going to talk about youth homelessness. Joining me are Elizabeth Jackson, CEO of Bridge Over Troubled Waters, and Dr. Wendy Champagne-Williams, an associate professor of social work at Bridgewater State University and a Bridge alum. Well, to give you some background, Bridge Over Troubled Waters is a local nonprofit based in Boston, now more than 50 years old, serving homeless and at-risk youth. Bridge provides housing and support services, including healthcare, mental health counseling, career and educational programs, and life skills. Bridge serves more than 2,000 youth every year. And if we look at some national numbers, there are more than 4 million young people every year who lose their homes, community, friends, and routines, as well as any sense of stability and safety while just trying to survive. Now, youth are exposed to countless dangers with an increased likelihood of substance abuse, domestic violence, early parenthood, depression, trauma, and a vulnerability to being trafficked. Bridge works really hard in our community to identify homeless youth so they can provide them with the services they need to help keep them safe. So as I welcome everybody on board today, Elizabeth, my first question is for you. You know, November is National Homeless Youth Awareness Month. Why do you think that youth homelessness is not well understood? We want, uh, we want people to know that one in 13 um, young people between the ages of 13 to 25 have experienced some form of homelessness this year. Let me repeat that. One in 13 um, young people between the ages of 13 and 25 have experienced homelessness um, this year. So look at a classroom setting, look at um, your local basketball team, look at a football team, um, look at kids in the bus, one in 13 have experienced it. They come from all walks of life. Um, some research show that um, Black and African American youth have um, an 80% risk higher of becoming homeless. Uh, homeless. LGBTQ plus youth are 120% more likely to become homeless. But their common need is, um, is stability um, that we provide that. We take on a parental role and we require them um, to be accountable to us and to themselves. We often say that at Bridge, we are the University of Life Skills for Kids. Uh, we want um, people to know, especially our elected officials and policymakers, that by meeting um, homeless and at-risk youth where they're at, we have a chance to help them prevent becoming homeless adults. That's why it's important to recognize homeless youth during the month of November as winter's right around the corner. The issues that these kids face are 365 days a year, and we should never forget that. 
So a qu another question, Elizabeth, for you, how does Bridge start working with a homeless or at-risk youth and how do you determine what services they may need? Um, young people come to Bridge on their own, so they're not um, referred to us by the court or um, mandated to be with us. So it's first come, first serve. Um, we help them along the way when the young people come to us and they provide a an issue or concern that they're dealing with, then we assess that and we support those. So we, when I say the University of Life Skills, here we have counseling, like you mentioned, we have case management, we have housing, medical, dental, and we constantly, we, well, sometimes I sit with a pseudo parent of trying to make sure that young people stay on a path, right? Many of the kids have been let down by adults and experienced a lot of trauma. So we don't have um, a lot of expectations of we're going to get a lot done in the first day we meet. We want to be able to make sure our young people trust us, that they understand the services that Bridge has, and that they are the ones that make the decision. And we say, these are the three paths you have or the four paths you have, and you make whatever path you decide is best for you and we'll support you through that path, right? Um, we want them to take care of themselves for the long run. We're not thinking of the short-term fix um, at Bridge. We will provide a short-term as food, something to eat, a shower, but then what is our long-term plan? We build trust with them and figure out what they need. Um, they may need to go back to school, find a job, find a safe place to sleep or get a meal. Meals are very important here at Bridge and I will always say you don't want to you can't change anyone if you're in an, an empty stomach. So I don't want to talk to anyone if I'm hungry. So it's the same for young people. And they're teenagers growing and develop and development developmentally at the same time. Um, our approach uh, takes into account all their needs and matches them to our services. We establish a relationship with each other, work on goals, and guide them on a path forward and to their own independence and their own their own choices. They're young people, so they'll um, they fall, they'll make a mistake and come back and we reset and we'll start over. We work very good around harm reduction is our model. Um, well, that's really interesting about how it really is kind of a agreement in between Bridge and the youth. They just are not forced to be there. They really want to have to make that commitment to be there. So that leads me to Wendy. Uh, Wendy, can you tell us about how you came to Bridge and what it provided to you? Absolutely. Uh, Anne and Elizabeth, thank you for allowing me to join you this morning and just share the experience that I was really uh, made a difference for me um, just to where I am right now. So I came to Bridge as a 17-year-old teen parent. Um, I was uh, at high school but felt old, felt out of place. I was now a parent, I had, you know, been kept back a couple of times. So I just felt I don't fit here in this traditional place anymore. And, you know, my parents were also going through a breakup, my parents were divorcing. So home life felt, you know, just really unstable and uncertain at the time. And so, you know, I reached out, I actually learned about bridge from my dad. And um, in doing so, you know, it wasn't my mom's choice. You know, she wanted me to stay in high school and, and bear with it. Um, but I'm really glad that I did go to Bridge because it, it has made such a profound difference um, in my life. Um, in going there, um, you know, I dropped out of high school. I ended up at Bridge. Um, I got my GED. They helped me to get my GED. Um, I learned uh, job skills. I learned word processing. That's what it was called back then. Uh, word processing there. 
I connected with one of their counselors who actually listened to me, you know, took time to get to know me as a person, not just see me as my situation or circumstances. Uh, he was very affirming and really curious. I mean, as a, you know, for me, for the work that I do today, you know, being very responsive to who I am, who I was um, as an individual and really being curious about, well, what, do, what are your dreams? What do you want to do? Um, and from there, really invited me to think about potential and possibility versus difficulties and, and limitations. Um, and that's what got me to, you know, think about going to college, which I really hadn't thought about before and really started me on that journey. Well, your journey is amazing, just even in that regard, in the beginning part of your journey with Bridge. And it, it led to some unbelievable things for you. So how did Bridge eventually help you find your pathway to success and what you're doing now as well? Well, they helped me to find my pathway by, you know, again, being in relationship with me and having a conversation and, you know, not telling me what I needed to do. Like I really, everything that Elizabeth just said, really just brought me back to being that 17 year old young parent, you know, sitting in the office with, you know, the social worker and thinking about, gosh, what do I want to do? Um, you know, someone asked me that question and we dreamed out loud, you know, he goes, well, you know, have you thought about college? I was like, oh, I don't know if that's for me. You know, I have, you know, this little person I'm responsible for, um, I'm thinking, you know, you get a job, you take care of them. And, you know, when he puts that out there, I hadn't really thought about that because I hadn't considered myself a strong student. And he said, well, you can give it a try. If you want to, I'll help you fill out the paperwork, but no pressure. There wasn't any sense of judgment. There wasn't just a singular option. It really was, you know, inviting me to look at different options. And if it fit, it didn't. And if it you know, if it fit, it did. And if it didn't fit, let's go back to the drawing board. I didn't feel like I had to make an immediate final decision in that moment. And fortunately, it fit. So he helped me. I applied to Roxbury Community College, where I uh, subsequently earned my associate's degree in psychology. Then I went on to Wheelock College um, in Boston, which is now a part of Boston University and earned my bachelor's degree in social work, and then went on to Boston University where I earned my master's degree in social work. Um, and then uh, in 2015, um, I earned my PhD in social work. So I'm sold out to the cause of, of social work because I mean, that made such a difference in my life. And you know, for me, it also affirmed, gosh, I wanna be able to do this. I didn't have a vision of what that would look like, who I do it with, but I knew that I wanted to give back what had been given to me through my experience at Bridge Over Troubled Waters. Wendy, when, thank you for, for mentioning that because I, we invited you to come and speak to our graduate GED graduation class and you had a powerful statement. You said, I went from my GED to my PhD. And um, I want our listeners to know that um, you had that PhD in you and all we did was plant the seed to bring it out. Like, and, and, and you helped us plant that seed to the young people, 
for in our graduation class of saying you can do it like they, don't let your GD um, keep you down and that's what bridge that's that's all our model we we believe in the ins in the inner ability of young people to do amazing things they just need the support to get there right and Richard planted um, your counselor planted that seed and say what are you going to do next with you and that's what we still do now 50 years later is asking our young people what's next like you're here you ate something you took a shower we we worked through it like what's next like we need to think about what's next and I, i'm grateful that you spoke to our class that you are um still uh, an alumni um a very a proud bridge kid of saying this is our uh, what's next uh, bridge was just the foundation or that bridge no pun intended to move from one into another and um that was that's not you anymore that young 17 year old of but that's normal, a 17-year-old, to feel a little confused or feel of what, you know, what am I going to do? I have a little baby and for somebody to not give up on you. And so I'm so grateful that you always, every time we say, Wendy, can you say your story? You're open about it and you're open on talking to our graduation class because I have a lot of Wendy's in my uh, bridge right now that are doing, that are dealing with different things, but we believe that we have a lot um, of young people that have a great future. So Thank you for sharing your story with us because I am um, with our listeners as well. Because every time people say, Well, do you see change in a year, in a month? It's like, oh no, we're looking for a long-term change. We're looking 20 or 30 years from now. Where our change is gonna happen and they're, they're just young people now and going through changes, but the change is there. And so I'm grateful. And so thank you for always um being part of talking about uh, your change here at Bridge and who planted the seed for you to move forward. Absolutely, I thank you. I always appreciate, you know, in this small way I can give back and, you know, thank you for saying that. I mean, if, if I might, you know, today, I think today's date, you know, just think about where we are. Um, as you mentioned, um, Richard, you know, so it is almost seven years to the date that I defended my PhD. I defended in October of 2014. So I had to defend my dissertation. And when, you know, when I got back to, it was a work day. I actually had to go back to my office. I had work to do. But the first thing I did when I sat down is I actually Googled, gosh, I wonder if Richard Brunson still works at Bridge Over Troubled Waters. He is actually, I mean, aside from, you know, my family and my colleagues who were supporting me, he was the first person I emailed because I wanted to say thank you. That was a moment of really coming full circle that, wow, here I am, a person who holds a GED, which I'm very proud of, who's just defended and earned a PhD. And I never forgot him. I always just felt a part of, you know, I want to be able to reach out and tell him, thank you. Thank you for making such a difference for planting those seeds and those are seeds my daughter won't appreciate if i say her name her age out loud but let's just say she's off the calendar so it was that many years ago she's she's into her mid-30s so thank you thank you to bridge no thank you richard's um just celebrated his 40th year here at bridge can you believe that wow um, yeah he just celebrated his 40th year here He's still here. He's so grateful. And that when people say, when, when do you see the results? It's like, ah, we're not here for the short term. We're here for the long term results. And, and Rich is still here and he's still planting seeds. He's still having those expectations and those dreams. So 
yeah, I, he felt really good to be like, yeah, that's that's one of my that's she she's one of our, one of our young ladies doing well, and it was powerful from GED to PhD, and everybody can do it. And all our young people, it doesn't matter what your background is, if you are at risk, if you're homeless, if you're using, if you don't have parental support, if you have some parental support but you're feeling lost, you know, bridges here with. And just, I think that's just what it's intended. It's a path to get you to where you need with a bunch of pillars to support you throughout it. But it's really up to you to work it. And you defended your dissertation all by yourself and you did a good job. And so that's what we want our young people to hear that they, they can walk this bridge by themselves with some pillars of support here and there, but they can do it. And so we really believe that. Like throughout our veins here at Bridge, throughout our foundation, we really believe it. It's, you know, it's not easy raising 2,000 teenagers. Um, that's what I would say. We have 2,000 teenagers that come here through Bridge. It's not easy dealing with just the normal, understand this day of everything that's going on in the world, the challenges, and also dealing with homelessness or hunger or anything. It's not, it's not an easy path. So we, we know that, and it's challenging, and we, the staff is amazing of just just staying in path and just holding those pillars and that bridge so those young people can get over it. And um, it, it, it's gratifying, so, um, but it's challenging. I, but I have any listeners, right. I know, I have two teenagers well, myself, so it's not. This, this is what we're doing today. And I yeah. think it's all about getting this message out there. And Elizabeth and Wendy, you are sending it loud and clear. And I think uh, for our listeners who really are, learning more about this and starting to care about Elizabeth. So how can people support Bridge during National Homeless Youth Awareness Month in November and maybe beyond that? Um, so November, there's many ways you can support us. Like us on Facebook, um, research it, like us on Instagram um, throughout the year. Uh, for the holidays, we're looking for help to provide holiday meals, gifts, and cold weather items. Uh, supporting our, our young people in our programs and safe places for our young people to stay. We'll, we'll be ho hosting a couple of virtual education events in November um, and other programs to where's awareness. So the more people talk, when you talk about homelessness, ask the question, what are we doing different for 14, 13, 18 year olds? What's different that we're doing for them? Please ask that to anyone. Help us spread the word about the important issues that, um, that we work with at Bridge. Um, tell a friend, share our stories. Like I said, social media, that everyone's using it, connect us. That'd be great. Um, and thank you for your time. Well, Elizabeth and Wendy, I want to thank you for sharing your stories. I think it's been an amazing conversation. Your insight and personal experiences will enlighten our listeners to the plight of homeless and at-risk youth that we're talking about. And for more information for anyone out there about Bridge Over Tribal Waters, go to www.bridgeovertribalwaters.com bridgeotw.org. See you next time on OA On Air. That's it for this week's episode of OA On Air via social distancing. Thanks for tuning in. Talk to you next week.